Pastor Mike, we need shofar lessons. So children can be dismissed. I see them going out the doors. <clears throat> Amen. Big children, little children. How you doing out there this week? Amen. Well, last week we closed up our sermon series, and I've been praying about what the Lord would have us do next, and I uh, felt the Holy Spirit... They're screaming already, praise God. I didn't even announce what book we're studying. I felt the Holy Spirit would have us study the book of Philippians. And so we're going to work our way through Philippians. Let's get our Bibles out. We're not, uh, this is going to be an introduction I'm going to preach through to give you some of the uh, background and information so we can understand the book properly and the theme of it and uh, some of the key elements of the book, the key players so let's just grab our Bibles and let's thank God for the word, and uh, then we'll jump into an introduction to Philippians. Father, we thank you today that we can come in this place, Lord, and we can have uh, peace in our hearts to worship you as your children. And Father, thank you that we were able to enter in and you showed up and you touched us this morning. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you continue to move and open up the word to us as we study the book of Philippians, that all of the themes and the pearls and the wisdom and the gems that you tucked into this epistle for those who seek you with their whole hearts, Lord, that we would uh, understand them. And Holy Spirit, that you tuck them into our hearts to find good ground. Change us from the inside out, Lord, so that the treasure of what you've given us in your word will be something that we can have in our hearts, you know, on our lips, that will come out of our mouths, Lord God, that you'd renew our minds today. We ask all of this in advance, and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do with the book of Philippians in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So the book of Philippians powerful. It's relevant. It's an epistle in the New Testament written to uh, the church of Philippi. And we're going to look at the author of uh, Philippians is none other than the incredible Apostle Paul. If ever there was a superhero of the faith, it was the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're going to list off some of his, uh, the things the Lord used to accomplish in his life, but the Apostle Paul, an amazing man of God, a man that was hand-selected by God, who was not, you know, uh, open to the things of God. He was actually killing Christians. How many understand that when you go from killing Christians to preaching the gospel and winning multiplied millions to the faith that God did something powerful, amen? The Apostle Paul serves as an example to us that no matter you know, where we are or where we've come from or what we've done in the past, that God can restore us and use us for his glory, amen? Look, I don't care how you grow up. You grew up in the hood. I don't care if you got a rap sheet. I don't care if you've been in prison. God can use you to do mighty exploits for the kingdom of God, amen? You know, religious people say, oh, no, you're disqualified. You're, you're not for that. That's not for you. Listen, God sometimes takes the worst of the worst and makes them the best of the best just to show that he's God, amen? 
So the Apostle Paul, he writes this book to the Philippian church. Now, scholars agree it was written around 62 AD. So Jesus has been gone a while. The church is in its formative stage, uh, 62 years into this uh, new covenant that we're in uh, as Jesus has died and he's rose again. And we're no longer in the Old Testament law covenant, but we're in the grace covenant. That's by the blood of Jesus. We came to the Lord's table today, amen. And we took the elements. What's that all about? That's all about celebrating the risen Christ, amen, that his body was broken to strengthen us, that his blood was poured out so we would have forgiveness of sins. And here's the church, 62 years in, being established. And, uh, you know, there are all kinds of good things going on. There's multiplication in the body. There's salvation. But there's also attacks and there's heresies. And Paul is writing to this church in Philippi now. He's writing to the believers there. And they are the Philippians. And he loves them because he shared a very close partnership and special affection with them. Why? Because he himself planted that church in 52. AD. So I want you to get the picture here. Paul has planted this church. He's went there. He's preached. There's been leadership raised up. Now there's a body of believers in Philippi. The Philippians are flourishing. And 10 years in, 62 AD, he starts in 52. He writes them a letter to encourage them. Why? Because he loves them. He sees them as that they are his spiritual children, that they are the fruit of his ministry, that God has used him to do evangelism among the Gentiles. Now realize the Philippians are not Jews, they are Gentiles. And the very fact that Gentiles are being included in the kingdom of God is a new thing. It's only 62 years old right here. But yet before the new covenant, Gentiles were excluded. And you say, what's a Gentile? If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. And before Jesus, we were excluded from the kingdom of God. Why? Because he only worked with the nation of Israel, his peculiar people. Amen. Thank God that he had his peculiar people, but he took us Gentile weirdos in as well. Amen. Some of you don't get it because you think you're all that and you're not. But thank God we were crazy. We were lawless. We were in sin and paganism. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, pagan. And God looked down and he said, you know what? I love them too much to let them go. I'm gonna send uh, my son to die for them and I'm gonna raise up the apostle Paul to bring them into the kingdom of God. Amen. Someone give him some praise. Someone give him some praise that we were included in the things of God. So 10 years into the Philippian church, he writes this letter, this epistle to them. Now, I want you to see that he addresses it in several ways, but he, he also specifically uh, talks to the elders and the deacons. In first service, I made the point that, you know, when we look at these letters written in the Bible to these churches, especially the, the formative stages here, the fact that he mentions the deacons and the elders, that he's talking about overseers, that he's mentioning people by name, shows the importance of leadership in the church. Leadership in any organization, in any business, in anything is vital, amen? You will never go further than the leadership you have. If you have a great group of people in the church and a lousy pastor, guess what? That person becomes a lid over the body. Some of us have been in churches where there was not good leadership. Don't raise your hand, but just, you know, especially if you've been going here all these years. But... But, but we need to pray for the leadership of the church. 
that God would raise up people, deacons, elders, overseers, people that would do the work of the ministry, that would heed the calling. Do you know, when Pastor Mike and I went to Bible school, there was a vibrant group of people that were heeding the call to go into ministry. We've seen some of our peers in college do amazing exploits for the kingdom of God. Just Wednesday, we had a, a, a man named Larry Saleh who we support in missions. He was in uh, my youth group when I was a young man. He was in Ecuador, translated the whole New Testament into, uh, what is that, the Chikawa language or the Uchi Kuchi, what? Salasakin, that's it. He tra- he, he tra- it took him 15 years to translate the whole New Testament into a language that didn't have the Bible. Yeah, say Wow. Say it backwards. That's good. Because that's an amazing thing. See, God can use ordinary people to do amazing things. But it all starts on heeding the call. And the call to leadership is important. So pray for your pastors. Pray for the pastors in Dutchess County that are preaching the gospel. Pray for the pastors nationally and internationally. Hello, are you feeling me here? We need to pray for our pastors. It's not just, oh, you know, full gospel center, just full, God bless us for and no more. We need bigger, you know, this and more of that. No, we, we, we got enough, amen. We're blessed. If God never does one more thing for full gospel center, we have more than enough. What we need is a passion to go out there and grab people out of the muck and the mire and bring them into this place and, and fill the seats, Lord God, amen. So leadership's important. He, he's talking to the elders and the deacons, and he's talking to leaders. We're going to see he's raised up some powerful leaders uh, to install into these churches that were birthed, and this was Paul's passion. So the background of the book is that Paul, as he's writing this book, he is under house arrest. And if you think about this, this is uh, basically he's been jailed. He's been arrested by the Roman Empire because he's preaching the gospel. And the people try to conflate Paul's preaching of the gospel with him rebelling against Rome. So the Romans were threatened and the religious leaders stirred all that nonsense up. So he's in chains and he's, his liberty's been taken away and he's being moved from place to place to sit, you know, from one court to the next court to the next ruler. He's on his way to Rome, but as he's on his way to Rome, he's chained up and he has, you know, Roman centurions with him and he can only do what they allow him to do. So I want you to think about that. Here's a man who's basically been arrested for preaching the gospel, yet he continues to preach the gospel. He's not wasting his time writing letters and getting lawyers and putting a legal team together and appealing. No, he is busy writing epistles to the churches he planted because even in chains, Paul is fulfilling his call to the ministry, amen? Now, Philippians is one of the four prison epistles. While he was in chains, while he was under house arrest, while he was been moved from place to place, he writes four epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and this one that we're studying, Philippians. The Philippian church, as I said, all Gentiles. And he's writing to encourage his fellow servants and spiritual children there. Let me give you some facts about Philippi, because I want you to see where God plants churches. He does it in a strategic way so there can be maximum impact. Philippi was a Roman colony in Macedonia, and that's current-day northern Greece, so uh, you, you know where Greece is? Anybody know? Anybody go? Geography? No, maps? Put, put it in your Google Maps. 
It's in modern-day Greece. So here's this little church made up of all Gentiles. Now, if you know about Greece, this is, you know, where philosophy and intellectualism and actually where democracy was born, amen? God plants this little church there in the middle, and it begins to flourish. And, you know, right in the middle of a Gentile pagan culture, he puts it there. Now, they probably had good diners because, you know, the Greeks were there, amen? You get, you get that good coffee at the Greek diner, right? You stir it, the spoon comes out, no spoon, you just... But Greece, this is where God plants this church, and it, it, it's a powerhouse. It's a beacon of light in the midst of all of this darkness. Uh, Philippi was on a major trade route. It was between Europe and Asia, and it was an important commercial uh, hub there, a trade hub. And see, God is strategic when he does things. Sometimes God does things in obscurity, and sometimes he puts things in a place where everybody sees. Philippi was one of those places. It was a strategic spot, you know, that where he plants this church. Now, all of these cultures and all these ethnicities and all of these travelers and traders and people from all different backgrounds and religious systems, they, they come through this hub and guess what's there? The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ planted in this church. I want you to see God does things strategically. Never question the hand of God. Never question where he moves you. Never question, why'd you put me here? Why'd you do it? Well, listen, he knows exactly what he's doing, and it's strategic, amen, and he does it to maximize the impact of his church. He puts us where our gifts can make a difference. Thank God that God is strategic. Philippi had this diverse mixture of people, nationalities, cultures, all of it in one spot, and smack dab in the middle of that pagan area in Greece, God puts the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now remember, this is where the church is. Paul is the one who planted it. He's in chains right now. Ten years later, he's writing them a letter to encourage them. And I want you to understand what the main theme of Philippians is. And having said all I said about Paul's current condition, it should actually blow our minds that the main theme of the book of Philippians is joy. Wait a minute, joy? What, what does Paul have to be joyful about? He's been arrested. He's in chains. He's getting dragged around from place to place. He's lost his liberty. He's lost his ability to do, you know, what, what God has asked him. No, listen, in the midst of all that, in the midst of being locked up, in the midst of losing his liberty, Paul has joy, unspeakable joy. And that he's bubbling over with it. And as he pens this epistle under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Lord is just coming through this man. You know, and this is so relevant for us because, you know what, when we look around and what we've been through in the dark days and the darkness of our culture and people are saying that, you know, our country is post-Christian now, we're no longer a Christian nation, all of these things, all of these dark pronouncements, God wants us to know how to have the joy of the Lord in any circumstance because it's our strength. Look, and if you're a Christian and you're walking around like you've been baptized in lemon juice, cut it out. Everything's bad, everything's bad. What's on TV? More bad news, bad. Let's look at the paper, bad. bad. Oh, it's upside down, still bad. You ever, you ever get like that, man? There's no good news. It's all, it's all a mess. But we shouldn't be a mess. 
We should have joy. We should have peace like Pastor Mike talked about. Amen. When you, when you have peace, you can have joy. And the peace of God that passes all understanding is ours as an inheritance. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. So Paul's preaching about joy here while he's locked up. And that should say something to us. Because most of us have a lot more going for us than he did at that moment. And, and do we have the same level of joy that he had? So let's look at joy a little bit here today as I preach through this introduction. Joy in the Christian life is all about perspective. Say perspective. It's how you look at things. Now, listen to me. Proverbs 23, 7 says this. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Did you hear that? I hear, I hear a rustling in the mulberry bush out there. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What does that mean? That means if I'm negative and I'm upset all the time and I'm just bothered, you know, and I, and I think everything's going wrong and everything's going bad, then th that's, that's really going to be the condition that I walk in. But if I choose to see with the eye of faith and believe that God's in control, that God loves me, that he's for me, that he's in complete control of my life, come on this morning, I, I'll have a different perspective. It's a matter of perspective. Look, you can be negative. You can be a grouch if you want. You can see the, the glass half empty or the glass is broken or however you see the glass. You might need glasses. I don't know, but <laughs> it's a matter of perspective. And I want to say this, uh, negative, uptight, high-maintenance high people are never happy. Let me say that again. Negative, uptight, high-maintenance people are never happy. Maybe you know some of them. Look, if you're related to them or married to them, just look straight ahead. <laughs> but I'm talking about negative people. No matter what's going on, they're negative. You give them 50 bucks and they're like, why not 100? You know, inflation, this is all you're going to give me. They're uptight. They don't let anything go. Everything bothers them. You know, it's like, whatever it is, you brushed up against me. You didn't acknowledge me. The pastor didn't shake my hand. Ah, uptight, negative, high maintenance. Oh, you got to walk on eggshells around them. You can't say the wrong thing. You got to make sure you coddle them and soothe their ego and shake their hand and smile and wave. Oh, all the uptight, negative, high maintenance people are glaring at me right now. So force yourself to smile. And you know what? Those people don't have any joy. And I'll tell you why. Because they've actually preemptively decided not to be happy. They've decided, I don't want joy. I want to be grouchy. I want to be upset. I want to be bothered. I want to let everything bother me. It's a decision. It's a perspective. And people who, you know, have made the decision to be joyful and to be thankful and to just revel in the fact that God is a good, loving father, man, they're, they're all the time they have joy and they have peace and they're happy and they don't complain. Oh, Lord, surround us with such people. Joy is a matter of perspective. 
Philippians is going to teach us how to be humble, how to think like a servant. Do you know why a lot of people are not happy? Because they don't realize they're here to serve. They think they're here to be served. And not everybody's serving them the way they want to be served. And so they're not happy, amen? And listen, it leaches into the Christian circles too. Well, you know, we're here because we like the programs and this and that. And as soon as we don't get what we want, we're gone. Well, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what to tell you, but we can't make you happy if you're not here planted by the Holy Holy Spirit excited about growing in the things of God, sitting under the anointing. I guess we can help you to the parking lot. Maybe we'll put a shuttle in. I don't know. What's a matter of perspective? Do we have that servant mentality or are we consumer Christians? Are we here for what we can get out of it or are we here to give and allow God to use our gifts? You know, it's so beautiful when people come and say, hey, pastor, we're here, you know, and we want to use our gifts and we want to get involved. And where, where can I help? Where can I serve? Wow. Exciting. Philippians is going to teach us how to have the right perspective, how to have a faith outlook, how to see things through the eyes of faith, to think like a servant, to be humble and to have joy in every circumstance. True joy is not based on circumstances. We can have it in every circumstance, but it's not based in circumstances. Look at this. Paul is in chains, yet he's bubbling over with joy. He's writing an epistle of joy to this church that he loves, that he's planted, that he sees as his spiritual children. I want to say something about the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is fake joy. Happiness is pseudo joy. You say, why? Because happiness is based on what's happening. And if what's happening is favorable, exciting, or what you want it to happen, then you're happy. Then you say, well, I'm happy. But if it ain't going your way, now you have no reason to be happy. Joy is different than happiness because joy doesn't, you know, is not about what's going on. You can have joy in the worst situation. Paul's in chains. He has joy. How many of us, if we were locked up and had two, you know, police officers walking us around in shackles everywhere we go, how much joy would we have? Well, look what's happening to me. I can't have joy. You see, we need to be released from happiness because sometimes what's happening around us is not good. It's dark. It's not exciting. And we have to understand that joy is not about what's going on around us. The key to lasting contentment is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when we are in Christ and we're in love with Jesus and we're just seeking him and he's loving us back and we're connecting with him and communing with him, no matter what's going on around us, it doesn't matter very much. Why? Because it's all about Jesus and he's got us and he can keep us and he gives us joy and he gave us peace as an inheritance and he's going to walk with us every day of our lives until we fall into his arms for eternity. I'm headed for heaven. Where are you going? You going with me? Amen. <laughs> so what do we got to worry about? And I'm not saying we should be ignorant and foolish. But we shouldn't walk around always worried and always undone and oh, oh, yeah, so high maintenance and so bothered. We should have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. You know, some Christian speaker explained uh, life like this. I, it might have been Rick Warren. I'm not sure. But they use the illustration of life is like two railroad tracks. 
and you have two rails running parallel. One rail is obstacles and difficulties and problems, and the other rail is love, joy, and peace, and both of them run in the same direction at the same time. And many people think, well, I can't be happy until, you know, everything's gone my way and my life is in order and my wallet is full and I don't have to deal with problems. Then I can have joy. No, listen, we're always going to have issues and problems and difficulties in this life. Jesus said it. In this life, you will have trouble. But at the same time, that other rail is the joy and the love and the peace that comes from belonging to him. Amen. So don't wait for your life to be perfect. Don't wait for you to be happy. Have joy now because the Lord wants you to have it. Thomas Huxley said, a man's worst difficulties begin when he's able to do as he pleases. Think about that. A man's worst difficulties, and a woman's too, happens what? When they're able to do as they please. I can do whatever I want. How many have gotten to the age in your life where you could do whatever you want? The rest of you are lying. You don't live at home. You know, you move out. I know, you got it, I know. But do you think about to when the happiest time in our lives were, when we were children? The happiest time, whether you can admit it or not, maybe, you know, some of us had a rough childhood, some great, whatever. But when we were children, we were happy and we were in order. You know, we were told when to eat, when to go to sleep. We were told where to go and what to do. Do you remember that? And I remember being so happy, like in my 40s, I realized I'm moving back home. I'm <laughs> moving back Fred and Ginny's house. I'm, I was happy, right? They told me everything what to do. You didn't have a choice when you were a kid. You woke up, they put clothes on you, we're going here. You're like, oh, we're going to church today. Next day, we're going to the beach, bathing suit. You just did what you were told. You got three square meals, you went to bed, you went to bed happy, you woke up happy. Well, now I can do whatever I want, and it's been downhill since. <laughs> In Philippians, we're going to learn that externally, Paul had lost his liberty, but internally, he was free as a bird. He had peace and he found joy in everything he was experiencing. He was even polite and loving to the people who were imprisoning him. He was witnessing to the centurions and leading them to faith. He was witnessing to these leaders that he got propped up in front of, oh, most excellent, he's all polite to them. I'd be like, oh man, I would have a bad attitude up there with my chains on. Paul's like, oh, most excellent, you know, God bless you and Jesus and here's the gospel and they're just like passing them on one to another but he's just bubbling up with joy because joy is internal, it's not external and we've got to remember that. It's not something, you know, oh, we put on like a, a clothing or we just, you know, it's exterior, it's superficial. No, it's internal. It comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is the ultimate example of joy for every believer. If we want to know how to have joy, uh, we just follow Jesus to the cross. And we, we, we model his humility and his sacrifice and his, his servant's heart. Jesus, the Lord of glory, fully God and fully man, came not to be served, but to serve and offered himself for us to die in our place. And took great joy in doing it. 
that he endured the cross. Why? Because he saw past the cross and he saw you and I and all of us here today who have faith, who have been freed from sin and who are on our way to heaven. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. That's good news. That's good news today. Follow Jesus to the cross if you want to learn how to have joy, if you want to learn how to have humility, if you want to learn to embrace sacrifice. Here are four quick examples from Philippians on where we can experience joy as believers. Number one, we can experience joy in suffering. Now, if you just said, oh, I'm out on the suffering, I'll, I'll do three out of four. Listen, Jesus suffered. We get to know him in his sufferings. We suffer also, but as we do, it's redemptive. It's redemptive suffering. Philippians 2.8 says, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Listen to that. Jesus endured the cross and he did it with a servant's heart and he, and he did it with joy in his heart that the fruit of that was you and I, that the fruit of that was the Philippian church of Gentile believers, amen, a light in the middle of the darkness. So we find joy in our suffering. Uh, we, number two, we can experience joy in service. People look at service in anything, whether it's at work or at home. Do you ever feel like you just got so much to do? It's always work, work, work. There's no time to rest. Anybody? I mean, we work five days and then we come home. Church on Sunday, Saturday, we got to do everything. Everything. You know, you get home on Friday, it looks like your house has been hit with, you know, a, a bombing strike. They, they, it, we worked all day yesterday. Did clean the cooking, close the pool, stack the wood, do this. Da, 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 da. Where's the joy in service? Now you all look depressed, y'all. The joy is in serving the purpose of God for your life, amen? For the joy that was set before me endured the cross. Listen, Paul saw joy in everything he was doing because he was fulfilling his call to God. So we find joy in our service. Philippians 2, 17 and 18. Yes, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. As we serve, we find our purpose. And in purpose, we find joy. Look, if you're wasting your time doing your own thing and, and you're not doing God's thing and you're not happy, stop. Get on your knees. Get in the secret place. Allow the Holy Spirit to recalibrate how you spend your time and begin to do God's thing more than you do your own thing. And I guarantee your level of joy will increase. You say, Pastor, you find joy in the ministry? I'm having fun right now. I don't, you know, I don't want to sit at a computer for 30 hours a week and, da, 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 and illustrations and this, and I have to stop because my brain is slow and God speaks and I type. But the fun part is sharing the word with the people of God and watching the fruit, amen? Watching lives be changed. So there's joy in service. Number three, there's joy in believing. Just in believing in Jesus Christ and knowing the truth in a dark, confused world, we have the joy of believing in the truth. Philippians 3.9, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. You and I know the truth that no matter what we do, no matter how tight we live, how strict and disciplined we try to be, we need Jesus to be righteous in the eyes of God. 
so we know the truth and we find joy in that, amen. I don't have to perform. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to constantly loathe myself and scrutinize myself. Mm, thank you, Lord. There's joy in suffering and service and believing, and there's joy in giving. Philippians 4, 18 and 19, indeed, I have all received all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So as God supplies our needs, as our needs are met and we give to one another and we receive, listen, there's a blessing in being part of the body of Christ. There's a blessing in having God meet our needs. There's a blessing in giving to others and blessing them. And so while the world sees giving as, oh, man, I got to lose some of what's mine, the Christian sees it as, man, I'm sowing seeds, and I'm making other people happy, and I'm pleasing God, and I'm storing up for myself treasures in heaven. <laughs> Woo! <coughs> There's some people who don't have two nickels to rub together right now, but yet they're givers, and they're, they, give, they give intangible things, loves and hugs and listening ears. And in heaven, they're going to be rich beyond compare with the blessings of God. Amen. What's Jesus doing this morning? He's preparing mansions for us. Amen. He's preparing blessings for us. He's preparing the kingdom of heaven to receive his bride for eternity. Come on this morning. All right, three key people in the book, and I'll close down. Number one, the first key person is obviously the Apostle Paul. But let's just talk about Apostle Paul just a little bit before we move on to the next one. He was someone God raised up to reach the Gentiles. We know that God got a hold of him on the Damascus Road, knocked him down, blinded him, picked him up, dusted him off, and reshaped his heart and his mind, anointed him, and turned him in from a person who was killing people and persecuting the church into the greatest apostle that ever lived. There again, this is just God showing off, saying, look what I can do with anybody I choose to do it with, man. None of us are beyond God's reach. You say, Pastor, my life is messed up. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've burned a lot of bridges. You know, I have a reputation. Listen, God can turn all of that around in an instant if we will just be available and allow him to strip us and humble us, amen? Paul, his life is just incredible. I mean, up to that point, you know, he had accomplished so much. He, he's a Pharisee. He, he studied under Gamaliel. He knew theology. He knew the scriptures. He was a very accomplished man. Yet he said, all my accomplishments, I count them as dung. We don't need to do a word study on dung. We know what it means right? And he says, all of that is dung to me that I might obtain Christ. This is what Paul did after he obtained Christ. In his lifetime, he takes four missionary journeys. Uh, we talked about how many miles, I think it was on Wednesday night, we were saying like over 10,000 miles he traveled by foot. Four missionary journeys. He plants 14 churches. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He raises up and installs solid leadership in all of those churches. He shares the gospel with key leaders. He testifies about the resurrection and the gospel. And eventually, he is martyred for the kingdom of God. Wow. Paul is such an incredible example for all of us. You just say, well, I just want to be like Jesus. Listen, there's only one Jesus, and he was God. And look, we're not going to be Jesus. But the apostle Paul is just a man. 
that gave himself fully to Jesus. And look what God did with him. What an example for us. So there's the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this book, and it's one of the 14 churches that he planted. Uh, It's one of the epistles that he writes in the New Testament, an amazing man of God. Then let's look at Timothy. Timothy was from Lyconia, uh, a city in Lystra of Asia Minor. He was born of a Jewish mother, and he had a Greek father. Now, this was important. There again, God calls this guy Timothy, who understands the Jewish cultures and customs. In the Jewish mentality, if your mother is a Jew and you're born of a Jewish mother, you are Jewish. If your father's Jewish and your mother's Gentile, you're not Jewish. So here's Timothy, and he's seen in the eyes of the Jews as a Jew. So he has legitimacy with them. Yet, he's raised by a Gentile father. So not only does he understand the cultures and customs of the Jews, which, you know, he's going to have to deal with, he also understands the mentality and the mindset of the Gentiles. So the duplicity of his upbringing actually becomes an asset for him in reaching those two groups for the kingdom of God. And just as strategically as God chose Paul, he chooses Timothy because this uh, dual background that he has perfectly fits the mission. Now, the apostle Paul meets Timothy on his second missionary journey, and he becomes a missionary partner with Paul along with Silas. So Paul sees Timothy as a spiritual son, as his protege, and he grooms him for effective pastoral ministry. Paul and Timothy's life serve as an example of mentorship and discipleship in a healthy way. Paul wasn't trying to hold Timothy back. He wasn't trying to keep him down. He's pouring into him. Why? Because Paul knows he's, he's going to be martyred and the, he needs to pass the baton and the gospel needs to continue when Paul is gone. All of us have to have a long-term mentality. It's not just about us and what we can acquire in our kingdom. We've got to pass the anointing. We've got to pass the wisdom. We've got to pass it to our children and the next generation. Paul is a perfect example of this. And you, you look at, uh, you know, First and Second Timothy and how Paul interacts and, and, and all of how he deals with him. He's unselfishly pouring into Timothy's life as a protege. He's grooming him to carry the baton into the future when he is gone. So, you know, here's this great example of, of discipleship for us to consider uh, how we do that in a healthy way. The last person I want to talk about as we close down is Epaphroditus. Now, he's a man who had risen up out of the Philippian Christian community, and he was sent by the Philippians to assist Paul during his imprisonment. So Paul loves the church, and the church loves him. And Philippians sends someone to help Paul because he's locked up and he's in chains, and he needs help. (coughs) And they send Epaphroditus. Now, interesting, Epaphroditus' name is of pagan origin. Remember, he's a Gentile who gets saved and brought into the kingdom. His name is actually has within it the pagan goddess Aphrodite's name right into it, Epaphroditus. He's kind of like the, the male version of, uh, uh, of Aphrodite. So his name is thoroughly pagan. Anyone who hears it knows that it was someone who was named to be, you know, follow the pagan god Aphrodite. Now I want you to see something. Epaphroditus' service shows the incredible transformative power of God. Even a man that was set apart for pagan service can be snatched out of it and transformed into a soul-winning machine to bring people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There again, none of us are disqualified. 
The only thing that disqualifies us is our lack of humility, a lack of being available, or the fact that we won't serve. But this guy, his parents dedicate him to a pagan goddess, and, and God said, uh-uh, he's mine. Watch what I can do with him. And watch what God can do with us. And the book of Philippians is going to show us that. So in closing, how's your level of joy today? We're going to be in Philippians for a while, God willing, and we're going to unpack all of it. But how is your level of joy today? Is it a defining theme of your daily walk? Does it show up in your personal relationships, in your marriage, in your family, with your children? Would people who know you describe you as joyful? I wonder what some of us, some people would say about me, but he's a grouch. Could you use a boost or a breakthrough in your level of joy? Let's enjoy Philippians together. Let's watch the Apostle Paul in chains exude joy in ways that will set us free no matter where we are in life. Let's enjoy Philippians together and watch the joy of the Lord become our strength. I want to close with this little illustration, this story here. A third century man on his deathbed penned these, his last words. He wrote them to a friend. He said, it is a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure this sinful life could offer. They are despised and persecuted, but they don't care. They are masters of their own souls. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. Joy is a choice. Joy is a matter of perspective. Joy comes from knowing Jesus. Let's bow our heads today. Father, we just thank you for the word. We thank you for Philippians. Father, I thank you uh, for the excitement that you're putting into the hearts of everyone who's here because they love you and want to grow. So, Father, as we unpack this book in the weeks ahead, Father, let the truth and the principles leap off the pages and take root in the good ground of our hearts. Plow up our hearts now, Lord God. Break up the fallow ground in us and set us free from the things of this world, from being attached to the happenings of this world, that we would be released from that, that we could have joy that comes from knowing Jesus in every situation. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise this morning. Amen.